Hello and welcome to The Crashdown. My name is CJ and today I'm going to be talking about Into the Woods. This is one of my favorite episodes. We are actually getting into a string of my favorite episodes. This might be my favorite chunk in all of the Roswell series. Because today we're talking about fathers, forests, and flashing lights. So let's get into it. We have a cold open this episode, and it's kind of a horror cliche. Two teens are in the back of this pickup truck, and they're making out. And it's a dark and stormy night. We see some lightning in the background, but then there's another flash of light. <gasps> and these people look terrified. That's when we cut to the lights flickering in the crash down, and Liz is sniffling and sneezing away. She has a bit of a cold, and I just have to say, why is she working in a restaurant if she is ill? Every plate of food that she touches, every glass that she stacks, every bill in the cash register that she handles, she is spreading this disease. Super unhygienic. If you work in a restaurant and you have a cold, stay home. Ugh. But we seem to brush over that. And Maria is just giving her a bunch of echinacea to take. And this is where we get a voiceover. Liz is talking about what it's like when you're at that very beginning of a sickness where you feel that tickle and you know that something's coming. And if you did everything right, then it could be a really mild case that goes away. And if you don't take care of it, it's going to knock you out, basically. Now, although... Liz is feeling sick. Maria is on top of her game. She's inspired. She's liberated. She's decided it's time for her to branch out. And she unsnaps the entire front of her uniform to reveal a sexy red bra, but also a belly button ring. Now, it proves to be fake, and Liz uses it later on to freak out her father. She puts it in her nose, and her dad's like, wah! But Maria's decided... She wants to take a walk on the wild side. She wants to move on, forget about these aliens. And she is going to try and get Liz to do the same. And that's where she gives the belly button ring to Liz. And Liz goes out into the front to work her shift, even though she's so sick. But in this episode, we actually get to see her dad. He's like, can I get a hand here? And I'm like, "What? who are you to talk, sir? You are never at work. You are never at this diner. It's always Liz. Can you get a hand? Hmm. Can your daughter get a hand running this restaurant, please? Be the adult in this situation. Ugh. What makes it even worse is that he starts complaining that he never gets to talk to her. She's so busy all the time. Yeah, she's busy running your business. She's there all the time. She's in her room. She's on the rooftop. She's in the back room. She's in the kitchen. She's on the restaurant floor. Other than that, she's at school. She doesn't go to Maria's. She doesn't go to Max's. I mean, sure, they've been on a few little capers lately, but this has taken place over months worth of time. It's ridiculous. But this is when her father mentions that they'll have some great father bonding time at the camping trip this weekend. That's right, their school has an annual father-kid camping trip. And I don't think you could do this anymore. This practice excludes so many people. For instance, Maria. She's like, well, I don't have a dad. So does she just not get invited to this? What if people had two moms? 
What if they were orphaned and they're being raised by grandparents? Can they go on this trip? Can you go without a parent to supervise you? Ridiculous. Anyways, Liz mentions to him that she's not sure how many of her friends are going to go. They've sort of grown out of it. And I'm sorry, but you can never grow out of camping. I mean, I guess you can grow out of wanting to go with your dad. But still, camping is such... Well, it's a huge thing in my life. I love to camp. I go camping all year round, basically. Zero degrees? Doesn't matter. Bundle up and build a campfire. Get a thermal sleeping bag and some winter boots. You're good to go. Anyways, her dad asks her if she feels the same way, but she's saved from answering when all of a sudden Milton from the UFO Center bursts into the restaurant. He's looking for Max, and when he spots Liz, he points to her like, oh, you're his girlfriend. She's like, uh, not really. And her dad's like, hmm, because all of a sudden he's a protective parent. Uh, wasn't it just a couple episodes ago that he and her mom both left Liz in charge of the restaurant totally alone? Now all of a sudden he's mad that maybe she's dating someone even though she says she's not? Great parenting skills, sir. Milton, though, doesn't really care. He's not really concerned with this. He just needs to see Max because it's finally happening. There's been a sighting. Dun, dun, dun. So exciting. He thinks that flash in the sky was a ship or something. And he needs Max. This is what they've been waiting for. When he finally does track him down, he lays out a map. And Max is really skeptical of all this. He knows he's an alien, but does he really think that light is anything special? Milton, though, has been listening into the police scanners, and there have been multiple accounts from campers, hikers, fishermen in the area, all sorts of people who noticed this strange light in the sky. There's even a man named Rocky Calhoun, who's been talking to the police and all I can think of is Rory Calhoun and not even the actor the Simpsons episode where Burns gets all those puppies Cruella DeVille style and he's gonna use them all for a wardrobe but then one of them stands up and he's like oh he's like a young Rory Calhoun and then the rest stand up and he's like oh they're a whole bunch of Rory Calhouns like they're the only ones standing up so every time I think of this Rocky Calhoun I just think of Burns and these dogs I don't know why that makes me laugh what a random name to pick of all the names to pick Milton though is convinced that this is not a guy who's looking for attention he could smell a hoax a mile away and this rocky guy is telling the truth. He's narrowed down the search area to a place called Fraser Woods. And it just so happens to be right near that reservation, right near those caves that River Dog showed him. Max tries to play it off to Milton, but secretly, I think maybe the wheels are starting to turn. Now, in the sheriff's station, Valenti is in an uproar. He is interviewing Rocky and trying to get him to tell him what he saw. Rocky doesn't want to go on the record, though. He knows what happens to these people. They get locked away. Sheriff Valenti turns off the tapes and ends up convincing him. He swears on his badge that he won't tell anyone else about what Rocky shares with him. 
Now, we don't get to hear the whole story. It cuts away. But we do hear that there was a white light so hot that it was almost like an x-ray. At school, Maria is flaunting her new confidence. And by confidence, I mean aqua bra. That's right, like a water-padded bra. She's wearing this tight turtleneck sweater, and all the guys are staring at her. She feels super confident because she's already got three numbers. I like Maria. She's trying to reclaim her own life, her personality, her sexuality. She doesn't need Michael to tell her that she's great. She knows, and she's going to show it. Liz kind of thinks she's a little bit ridiculous, but she's mostly just distracted because she sees Max go into the eraser room. <gasps> oh no, not the eraser room. But then she sees Michael going after him and Maria just kind of rolls her eyes like, oh, that's why he wouldn't commit. But it's actually a secret alien rendezvous. That's right, Isabel goes in there too to talk about this sighting. At first, Isabel and Michael don't think it's anything, but Sheriff Valenti is closing off that section of the forest. There have been multiple reports, and if there is any truth to this story, they need to get there first. Luckily, in the hallway, Alex has been handing out flyers. See, he needs to boost his P.E. mark. You know, the only thing he's really good at is dodgeball. And again, we get that thumbs up when he's like, dodgeball! So he can earn extra credit, I guess, if he hands out these flyers and gets more people to come on the annual camping trip. You see, it's also being held in Fraser Woods. So Isabel and Max decide they'll go. That's the perfect cover to be out there. That way, if they wander off, oh, we were just on a camping trip. Here's the part that excludes people, though, because Michael's like, don't have a dad, guess I can't go. I mean, he has his foster dad, but there's no way he would go. And I think that's total bullshit. I'm sorry, but Michael is the exact kind of guy who needs to be camping. Give him tools and skills and the ability to survive on his own. I think that would give him pride and a sense of accomplishment. We saw how proud he was when he built that spring-loaded napkin holder. If he could start a fire and set up a tent and, you know, cook his own meal out there, I think that he would really come into his own personality. I think you'd see a lot more confidence. And with that confidence and sense of self, he wouldn't have to push people away or be so abrasive because he'd be more comfortable in his own skin. So he's the exact kind of kid that you need to be taking on this trip, only he doesn't have a dad. And again, that's who'd kind of teach you. Now, not in my life. I have very strong female role models, so I went camping with just me and my mom or a woman who was kind of like another surrogate mother nanny to me. She would take me. She taught me how to hike and camp and set up a tent and build a fire. I, I build a mean campfire, you guys. But... For someone like Michael, that would be a father-son bonding thing, and now he just gets left out again? You think that's going to help his academic performance? You think that's going to help him integrate into society? No! You can't do this kind of crap, people. I could see a school-sponsored camping trip, because we had that. We went to camps. But it should not be dependent on whether you have a male parental figure who can take you. That's crap. I actually have to agree with Maria later on 
when she says, having a father is grossly overrated. I definitely agree. Anyways, it's decided that Isabel and Max will go and check it out. Michael doesn't have high hopes for it anyway. He still thinks it's all a bunch of malarkey. Now, back in Liz's room, she's getting ready for bed, and she's in her underwear. Ooh, and her dad walks in. Oh, one kiddo, lock your door. But the dad's like, oh, sorry, why? And he kind of spins around, and they kind of mention, oh, that privacy thing. I'll try and get better at that. But he's come to guilt trip her into going on to this camping trip. She kind of agrees because she needs to be distracted and she's a good kid. She does love her parents. And they hug. Her father says that he'll be happy to meet some of her new friends, all these new friends that he kind of keeps hearing about. But she's like, I don't think any of them are going to be going. And that's where he throws out this line where he's like, some fathers just aren't as involved in their kids' lives. Wow. Are you totally delusional, man? Do you have any idea? No. You're so irresponsible. It infuriates me. Uh, I can't, can't say how much I hate that enough. Of course, this prompts Liz to beg Maria to come with them. So I guess there is some leeway... I guess if there's one parent, they can watch two kids or something. But Maria's like, mm, she's not really a camping kind of girl. Liz offers to pay her, and they have a quick negotiation. Liz starts at 25 bucks, Maria starts at 100 and they keep jumping back and forth until Liz arrives at a figure 6250. Maria's kind of just like, how do you do the math that fast? Liz is like, 6250 and I do your math homework for a week. And at that, Maria is sold. So Liz gives Maria the cash. Maria gives her some more echinacea as well as some golden seal. You know, because who doesn't need some golden seal? Anyways, Liz's dad kind of witnesses this exchange. And you can tell he does not like what's going on here. And you'll find out why later. Now, as much as I've complained about Liz's dad, in the next two scenes we see what the real lack of parental figure looks like. Michael has gone home, and he's at the trailer park with his foster dad, and they're yelling at each other because there's basically nothing to eat. They're out of milk. Michael goes to have a bowl of cereal, and his foster dad suggests pouring beer on it. I mean, that's what Michael's dealing with, someone who doesn't give a shit, who's encouraging this underage kid to drink. But just when you think that everything's going terribly for him, Riverdog appears. Oh, except this time I think I see a car in the background. So he didn't just appear out of the shadows. I think he drove there. And he asks Michael, did you see it? And thick-headed Michael has no idea what he's talking about until it finally clicks in. That light, that sighting, it was real? According to Riverdog... Yes, it is. So even though Michael doesn't have a father figure, now he has Riverdog on his side. Now that this man knows what Michael is, he's going to help him and try to protect him. In another kind of sad situation, Kyle is waiting for his dad at the sheriff's station. Things are very chaotic with this sighting. 
but he had promised Kyle that during his free period, they would go and pick out a new tent for this camping trip. Kyle's actually excited. It turns out that this camping trip is one of the only two consecutive days that he actually really sees his father. But Sheriff Valenti has more important things to worry about. That Rocky Calhoun decided to go to the press. He talked to the Gazette, and now he's actually trying to make a deal with Dateline. So, Sheriff Valenti, if there's anything out in the woods, he needs to find it now. Especially because Agent Stevens will now know about this sighting. And they're throwing it in really casually. We don't see him again in this episode. But just because Topolsky's gone doesn't mean Agent Stevens has forgotten about what's going on in Roswell. Lucky for Sheriff Valenti, though, he has some pull, and he tells Kyle that, well, he'll just have Coach Clay look out for him on the trip. I think that's so sad. Here's Kyle actually caring. He wants to bond with his dad. He hasn't outgrown this. This is something they could do for the rest of their lives, is have this time away from all the hustle and bustle. But to Sheriff Valenti, this is a huge lead, and he's not going to let it slip through his fingers. At the crashdown, now I know we keep jumping around, because one minute they're at school, and then they're at work, and then they're at school again, and then they're home, and then they're at work. At I have no idea how much time has actually passed here. My guess is like a day or two. But Michael, Max, and Isabel go to the crashdown to discuss what Riverdog said. This gives even more credence to the fact that they need to get out into those woods now. A-S-A-P. Michael has a new theory, though. How come Riverdog knows so much about this situation? He was just a kid when Nisato was last here. That's some memory. He thinks that Riverdog is Nisato, that he's their father. Isabel doesn't believe it at all, but he's like, Riverdog is more like a father than Mr. Evans ever will be. During this heated exchange, Liz and Alex are talking by the counter. When Alex was handing out flyers at school, he gave one to Isabel, and he asked her out on a date. At first, he offered to take her to a Fellini festival, and she was like, no. And he gets all dejected. You could see, oh, he really worked up the courage to do that. Then she suggests, I don't really like that kind of thing. How about just a regular movie instead? And he's over the moon. So he is at the crashdown, kind of just to stare at her out of the corner of his eye as they await this date. And he keeps asking, is she looking? Is she looking? Right now, though, Isabel has much more important things on her mind. Was this a crash? Was this a sighting? Was this, like, alien magic? They have to get to the bottom of it. So when Max and Michael leave and Alex goes over, she just is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot. I have to go on this camping trip. My dad is totally, like, making me. And then he is like, Oh, what a coincidence. I was just about to tell you that I couldn't go because I'm going with my dad. And, oh, yes, we get to meet Alex's father in this episode. I love him almost as much as I love Amy DeLuca. Alex's dad, he makes so much sense of why Alex is the way he is. It is so adorable to watch these two together. So, oh, what a coincidence. We'll all be going on the camping trip. Before Max and Michael can actually leave the restaurant, though, they have to go pay by the door. 
So Liz and Maria are kind of cashing them out. And Maria is telling her to stay strong. These Czechoslovakians hold sway. They're bastards. You can't let them get away with this. So she is, basically comes up with the idea to lie. Just lie. Flat out lie to them. Come up with a story. And her cover story is, Oh, they've been so busy lately. They have such big plans for the weekend. They're going out on a day with some college guys. Max looks kind of jealous. Michael looks unimpressed. But Maria's proud of herself. She didn't cave to their smoldering good looks. So, cut to the next day. It's outside in the school's parking lot. Everyone is hauling their bags towards the big school bus. And Alex is there, and his dad pulls up, and he's this nerdy little professor-looking guy who's, like, wearing a button-up shirt and, like, these glasses and has this kind of nerdy little haircut. Oh my goodness, he is adorable. He is such a cutie. He's so cute, just like Colin Hanks. But he has to ask his son, are you sure you want to go? Alex is totally going, though. If Isabella is going, he is definitely going. So he is super upbeat about this whole thing. Sure, we've got our parkas, we've got our sleeping bags. What else could you need? Cut to Max and Isabel's dad. Are you guys sure you want to go on this camping trip? Uh, Isabel definitely does not. Mosquitoes and pit toilets? No, thank you. They have to act happy, though. So she's like, sure, absolutely. It's our new policy. We're joiners now. She elbows Max, and he's like, joiners. <laughs> he can't even come up with a sentence, just joiners. Their dad seems impressed, though. Because, as you could tell, their mom, in the last couple episodes, has been getting really worried about how isolated they are. So the fact that they're wanting to reach out and, one, spend time with fellow classmates, two, spend time with family, and three, get involved in an extracurricular, this is fantastic. He could not be happier. Liz, Maria, and Mr. Parker are not quite so upbeat about this whole situation, though. Mr. Parker is happy because he wants a chance to talk to them alone. There have been some things going on. He saw that money exchange and he just wants to kind of clear the air. But that's when Liz and Maria notice Max there and they run and hide because, oh no, they are supposed to be on dates with some college guys and this is why you don't lie. But Maria's excuse is just, no, you have to lie more. This is how you get out of it. You say that the dates fell through and they're going to meet them next weekend in Albuquerque. She's got this whole story planned out. And I love how quick she is. Some of them are such terrible liars, but Maria just spouts off this nonsense. But her whole thing is she commits. She will tell the story again and again and totally swear by it. They don't really have time to confess, though, because the teacher is calling them alphabetically. And as Max, he's E, Evans, that's much higher in the alphabet than P for Parker. Uh, as he's climbing in, he hears her name called and turns around and has this smug little look on his face like, oh, no college guys, huh? And like, screw you, dude. You called it off. Don't be a jerk. Maybe her plans did change. You have no idea. The last person in our little camping party, though, is Kyle. And he's there. He's all geared up. He is totally prepped and ready to go. One of the only people who actually was genuinely looking forward to this. 
and he just has to go and basically sign in with the coach. But wait, what's that? Sheriff Valenti did show up? And he bought a new tent after all? Aww. He does care. At least that's what Kyle thinks for now. Because as soon as the sheriff sees Max and Isabel there, he calls his deputies to put extra guards around the site. None of these dads, other than him, seem to know what's going on, though. Because Parker, Evans, and Whitman, their dads are bonding. Like, oh, it's great to see you. Oh, this will be so much fun. Typical dad male chit-chat. So they get on the bus and they arrive at this campground sort of area, which is just a bunch of, like, clearings in between trees. And everyone is picking some spots and they're going to get set up. Obviously, Isabel and Max want a spot near the edge of camp. It'll be much easier for them to sneak away if they are at the edge of the woods. Valenti, being the creeper spy that he is, fakes that he can't get reception and asks Kyle to move the spot. Now, Kyle's already a little peeved because his dad wasn't going to come, and he hasn't been listening to anything he said. Kyle has said that he wanted to set a new record. Last year, he ate five bratwurst, and this year, he wants six. But the sheriff just fakes that he can't get reception, and that's why, oh, perfect, he says when he's like two feet away from Max and Isabel's tent. Then... Liz and her dad start meandering over, and she doesn't want to sit with them either, because that's awkward. Kyle is her ex, and Max is, well, they weren't even really a thing before they broke up. But Alex is there with his dad, so they end up having to settle in. But Alex and his dad are the best, because they literally really just did bring, like, a coat and a sleeping bag. They walk into the forest, everyone else is unpacking tent and all these backpacks and supplies and pots and pans for the fire, and these two just sit down on a log like, we're ready to have some fun camping. None of them know what you can do. They don't know any camping activities. They don't know how to distract themselves. They're like, yeah, let's just sit on this log. We're outside. That's camping, right? (laughs) They are so cute. Oh my goodness, they are so cute together. As the afternoon progresses, It cuts to them sitting around a campfire. Kyle is telling a spooky story about alien abductions and how these cows went missing and this person said they were abducted. But then when they did an autopsy, she ended up having a hole in her skull right where she said the aliens probed. And Valenti's like, oh, that's a good one, Kyle. Where'd you hear that one? And he's like, that was one of Grandpa's favorites. Then his dad kind of gets quiet, like, oh... Well, you've got the meeting out of the palm of your hand? Not everyone wants to hear what Kyle has to say, though. A few of them have set up a little poker game. Max is playing with Mr. Whitman, Alex's dad, and Mr. Parker. So Max kind of raises, and Mr. Whitman has to fold. But Mr. Parker is kind of challenging him, like, Oh, that's a good bluff, but hmm, I don't know what power you have to make these people fold. Basically, he calls, and he shows that he has a full house, and Max has a better one. But for some reason, he wipes his fingers over the card and just makes two pair. Now, why would he go and do a thing like that? Could it be that he doesn't want to one-up Liz's dad? Or is it that he didn't want them to think he did have powers of sway? 
I don't know. What do you think Max's motive is here? Meanwhile, not too far away, Alex is getting his time alone with Isabel anyway. The two of them are sitting on a log and she is pointing out all these different stars. She can name them all and tell you all about them. Before, they were just stars. Now, they're these mysterious, wondrous things. And he's like, this is so much more fun than a movie anyway. But they still could go on a date when they get back. Isabel sighs. She can't date him. This isn't a date. This is just friends hanging out, going to the movie. She's more like Michael than she wants to admit. No attachments. She takes that seriously. She doesn't want to endanger anyone. She can't trust anyone like that. She has her own walls that she wants to build up. She wanted to let her mom in, but that's something totally different than just some guy. And Alex isn't particularly smooth. He, he's helped them out, but he hasn't shown that he's trustworthy yet. He hasn't proved his mettle. Unlike Liz, who I feel has really earned a place in this group. And I think that's why she's kind of so upset by Max's behavior. So when they run into each other at a tap while they're brushing their teeth, they kind of have a talk. It's one of the first talks that they've had alone that's about anything real. It's super awkward. And she's kind of mad that he's keeping her out of this. When he said he needed space, he didn't want them to come to a screeching halt, though. He just wanted them to slow down. But the thing is, this is his choice. He's complaining, but this was all done by him. She did not want this to be over. She wants to be included. He was the one that included her in the first place. It's not fair for him to rescind that offer now. She's a part of this. Now, back at the trailer park again, Riverdog comes for Michael. It's time. He's going to take him to this area, this sighting. So they head off into the woods. Oh, this whole time, though, Michael just keeps thinking... What if Riverdog is Macedo? So when Riverdog collapses, when he trips over a fallen log, he demands that he heal himself. He wants Riverdog to tell him the truth. But the thing is, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Riverdog was so stealthy in earlier episodes, but he can't see a giant tree that had fallen in front of him. That doesn't make sense. The thing is, though, Riverdog is isn't an alien. He's not Michael's father. He doesn't have powers. You can see this hits Michael really hard, but he just plays it off like, oh, well, you know, I just had to make sure. And then we see Michael heal Riverdog. He holds his hand over his ankle and Riverdog can walk again. So even though we see that Michael's powers weren't quite as developed, I love that he is trying to do something good with them. At the camp, after Liz has finished brushing her teeth, she goes back into her tent with her dad, and that's when he has the pills out. He's laid them out on the sleeping bag and is like, what are these? And she's like, echinacea? And instantly he just believes her, like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they talk about this privacy thing again. It's just that she's growing up so fast. And... What a wishy-washy thing to think. You either think your kid is on drugs or not. You either think they're on drugs and you're not going to believe them when they tell you that they're not, or you know your kid better and you just would have asked, hey, what's this? And they're like, echinacea, and you're like, cool. But the way that he was so awkward and cagey about the whole thing, no wonder they have a crap relationship. And there was a great line earlier where Liz says, 
you know, she likes her dad just fine, but like five minutes at a time, a few times a day. And that's kind of the good ratio of father-daughter time. This is where you get another voiceover by her. And it's not quite the end of the episode, but it's wrapping up mostly her storyline. And it's all about how people protect themselves and keep secrets and hold themselves apart. And that those thoughts are universal. And if Max could see that, he'd see that they aren't so different after all. And now that night has fallen, Isabel and Max make their way out of the camp. Liz quickly sees them leave, and so she goes after them, followed by Maria, followed by Valenti. So there's this merry chase through the woods, and eventually Liz and Maria catch up with Max and Isabel. Maria, though, thought that Liz and Max were going to hook up and wanted to stop them, but it's about these sightings. And Liz basically demands and decides that she is a part of this and she's going with them anyway. Maria is more dragged along. Isabel is not impressed. But Max allows it, since he always seems to be the one in control. He allows it. They're going to go together. They're going to figure out what this is. Even though it's dangerous with Valenti so close, that's why they have to go. If he gets there first, who knows what'll happen. So they walk for miles. What Maria says is over an hour, and ugh, it's so cold that her aqua bra is now frozen. But that's when you hear the dogs. It's a search party, or at least the deputies in the woods had dogs. So they all start running, but there's no way they're going to be able to outrun them. So Liz and Maria decide to fall on the sword. They will stay behind and let Max and Isabel go ahead. And I think this is brilliant, because as soon as all these deputies start getting close, they start screaming like, Hey, we're over here! Help us! Help us! Find us! We're over here! Oh, you saved us! And that's totally believable. That's why they went this camping weekend. That Maria ends up telling everyone that she just didn't want to use those pit toilets, so she made Liz go with her, and then they got twisted around and would... They'd been walking forever, and these deputies just basically saved their life. And as soon as you make these guys the heroes, they don't really have any more questions. And when her dad gets there, totally relieved that his daughter is safe, he's not going to worry. He's not going to ask questions. He's just going to be like, thank you for finding my daughter. Oh, good. Except there are still two people missing. And Mr. Evans doesn't put up a big fuss, and the deputies are just kind of shrug their shoulders like, well, we didn't find anyone else. Uh, then you start searching again and everyone is still up in arms because there's still two kids missing in a woods in the middle of the night. We do get to see one other person dragged away in cuffs, though. It's Milton. He's screaming, I'm a scientist! And they're all just like, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Get out of here, crazy. About this same time, Max and Isabel make it to the front of these caves. Just in time to see Michael and Riverdog show up. Valenti is right on their heels. He actually sees them, but then he's surprised by Kyle. When Kyle saw him get up, he had to know what was more important than him. Why was hunting Max Evans more important than their trip together? What isn't he telling him? Sheriff Valenti doesn't have any answers for this, though. And that's when you see Kyle has just had enough. Now he understands why Valenti never sees his father, because he was obviously the lowest priority. And guess what? It's happening again. 
Now he's the lowest priority in his dad's life, and he's not going to put up with it, so he stalks back off into the bush. This was just enough time to distract the sheriff from what was really happening, though. In the grass, there was a symbol, a glowing symbol, that spiral that they found on that pendant in Atherton's house, that they found in the caves that Riverdog showed them, and they know it can only mean one thing, Nisato's back. So with his son gone, Valenti jumps out and surprises them and basically tries to push past them to see what's going on. Michael wants to fight, but Riverdog calms him down like, no, let the man pass. Max thinks quickly, though, and waves his hand over the grass to make the symbol disappear. Valenti knew they were looking at something. He knew something happened, but he's got no proof. And then after this long silence, they're just like, oh, thank you for saving us, Sheriff. We were lost forever. Uh, wouldn't that be the first thing you said? Wouldn't you show some more panic? Who's this old Aboriginal guy? Why is Michael there? He wasn't on the trip. So many questions. And then they literally just walk away, and the sheriff is kind of left standing there to reevaluate his life or reaffirm that this is the way he wants to spend his time. But these kids just kind of wander away because they know where they are. But wouldn't you be like, oh, Sheriff, how do we get back? Where's the camp? Where's the rest of the police? No, just, okay, see you later. Again, uh, I get you can't prove anything. You can't hold them. But then I would want to escort them back. I mean, I guess the Sheriff wants to probably look around a little bit. But still, terrible covering. Liz and Maria did a much better job of pretending to be distressed, not... Five minutes after he shows himself, be like, oh, you found us. Hey, hurrah, we're saved. Sound a little bit more enthusiastic, please. The very final shot of the episode, though, is at what's either like a senior's residence or a mental institution, or maybe both. I can't quite tell. But after Sheriff Valenti has this moment alone in the woods, he goes to this home. And he asks the nurse, he's looking for James Valenti Sr. And the nurse, he's like, that's him, pointing to a guy at a chair. Is that really how you'd answer that question, though? That's him? Wouldn't you say something like, oh, he's over here? Or that's him in the blue or something. Like this guy isn't going to recognize his father? Has it really been that long that he's not even going to be able to pick his father out of the crowd? Now, I could understand, oh, he's in the game room, or the library, or his bedroom, or the dining hall, but it's in the room that this sheriff is already standing in, and the nurse is just like, that's him. Again, it's the little, little things that bug me in this show. What an awkward way to phrase that scene. Was that a bad delivery, or is that just really weird writing? I don't know. I wonder if anyone else even notices little things like that, but it's the little things like that that really bother me. Anyways, his father is sitting there, and he's trying to eat a meal that's on, like, a TV tray, but this fruit cup, you know, it, the fruit keeps sliding off his spoon, and Sheriff Valenti goes over and says, it's me, Pop, it's me, Dad, it's been a while, and his dad kind of says a long time so maybe it has been just that long because you in earlier episodes you get the impression that this guy was dead I think there were actually even references to that so maybe he had maybe just from the time he was a child he just pretended like his dad was crazy and dead 
and never, ever did go to visit him. But now the sheriff knows better. He knows different. And he actually apologizes to his dad and says, what if you were right all along? And there's this moment where these two men are looking at each other. And then Sheriff Valenti offers to help him and picks up the fruit cup, picks up the spoon and starts feeding his father. And to me, oh my gosh, I pretty much tear up at that scene every time. It's so sweet. It's so heartbreaking. Because in the same moment that Valenti's moving away from his son, he's getting closer to his father. And is that the right move? I mean, his father was right. Aliens exist. There were in Roswell. But is sacrificing your relationship with your son really the right way to go about it? Should you include the son or should you drop the quest? Who's to say? It's a tough one. But I really like that we end on this moment. It's not a Max scene. It's not a Liz scene. It's not a voiceover. It's not Michael and Maria flirting. It's Sheriff Valenti. It's a very personal family moment. And that's what makes this show so compelling is these relationships, this heart to it, and this sense of who's right and who's wrong. I feel like it changes from episode to episode. People are doing the right things for the wrong reasons and the wrong things for the right reasons. It's all miscommunication. But what do you guys think? Do you guys agree? Do you have your favorites? Are you biased? Or do you have a totally different perspective on these characters? I would love to hear from you. So email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. Seriously, send me anything. Any thoughts or opinions or artwork you want me to display, I'm sure I could find a way to show it somehow. Thumbnails are on Twitter. I can send links. I'm on Twitter too, guys. The Crashdown Pod. I really want to hear from you. I think that wraps up my rambling for today, though. But I am super excited for the episodes to come. Oh, we've got some good ones coming up. I just have to say, blind date. I know we're not quite there yet, but oh man, I can't wait. If you have your favorites, tweet those too. If you have questions about the upcoming episodes, send them now. I can answer them on the podcast. I'll keep them in mind as I'm watching the show again. Anyways, until next time, guys. Stay safe and go camping.